And you'll notice as we've been exploring our breath, our body, our minds, our feelings, and our thoughts, that there's a lot of judging going on, and that we don't always treat ourselves with respect. And we've all experienced, we know what it's like to be treated disrespectfully in life, whether on the basis of our gender, or our sex, or our race, or our age, or disability. We know what that feels like. But it comes as a shock to find out that we're doing that to ourselves as we sit in silence, and we see all the ways we're disrespectful. If the person next to you were to start saying to you some of the things that you've been saying to yourself over the course of today, you'd think, what kind of person is that? You know, or if little bubbles were to go up with all our judgments about ourselves and we were to see them, it'd be embarrassing. And it's sad, this lack of self-respect that there is in our culture, because it's so conditioned. And I used to think um, that it was just a a women's thing, this lack of self-respect. But this is what Mark Twain writes. No man deep inside himself, in the privacy of his own heart, has any considerable respect for himself. And even Groucho says, I'd never join any club that would have me for a member. So it's kind of sad when we think of how conditioned that is, that we have to look outside to find any respect, that we don't feel it for our own bodies, we don't trust our own wisdom. So what do we mean by respect? And I'd like to tell just a couple of stories um, that really exemplified that for me. When I was a medical student, um, I was training in a big city hospital, um, and I was working in the emergency department. And we were assigned to work with um, casualty officers, or emergency officers, I guess you call them here. And um, one particular late Saturday night, um, I had to go into this room, and there was a young man um, who'd taken some drug or another, acid, I think. And he was in a little heap underneath the examining table, and he was disheveled and dirty and long-haired and bleeding and freaked out. And into the room had come two huge security guards, and they were being asked to get him out and stick him on the table so I could sew him up. And um, my friend, the doctor I was working with, walked into the room and he said, you guys can leave. Adrian and I can deal with this. And I'm going, whoa. And what he did was he beckoned me to get down under the table with this young man. And um, we both just sat there, and he started talking to him, and talking about his hallucinations, as though they were just perfectly ordinary. What's happening, guy? And he began to treat him as another human being. And as this young man began to feel this quality of respect, he began to relax. And after a little while, um, my friend said to him, you know, it's really hard to sew you up down here, but if you were to get up and lie down on the table, we could make you really comfortable and we'll take care of you. And that's what we did. And I left that room with a feeling of um, awe at the way this man had handled um, a situation that could have re-traumatized somebody and shamed them. Rather than reacting in disgust, 
he reacted with respect. And from that room, we went into another room, and what this man had was the equality of being completely present. He let go of where we'd been, and he was completely present for this young woman who was 16 and who had come in because she'd tried to kill herself because she'd given her baby up for adoption. And she was filled with shame and self-loathing and feeling desperate. And he did the same thing. He sat down with her and he began to speak about the courage that she'd shown in facing life, in staying with life, and how much courage it took to give a baby up that she knew she couldn't take care of at 16 and with no support from her family. And with hearing, with hearing his respect of her choices, she began to open that she was okay, that what she'd done, she'd done for, for, the, for the best. And a, a moment of healing began in just his honoring of her. And so respect really is about having that quality of honoring, of being with things just as they are, not needing them to be any different. And it's being able to see that divine nature or that Buddha nature in another, just as we were talking about taking refuge in the Buddha. He saw the Buddha nature in both those young people. And that drew that quality out in them and their respect for each other and themselves. So the quality of respect is central to our spiritual practice. And it's central to our lives. And the Buddha spent the last years of his life teaching a lot about this quality of respect. Respecting the Dharma. Respecting the earth that we walk on. Respecting life. Respecting our elders which is something we don't do very well in our culture. Respecting respecting youth, respecting all ages. And he also taught about how to gather together with respect, as we did the first night that we met, and how to part with respect, how to take leave with an honoring way. So we begin to pay respect by honoring each moment, Every moment, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, is worthy of respect. Respecting how things actually are. Because with respect, the heart can include it all. The ideal and the actual can come together. So it's this kind of bowing to the truth. This is how it is. No matter how terrible or difficult, this is how it is. And it asks for our respect. Even evil, war and racism and torture, asks for our respect. The Buddha gave respect to Mara. He didn't turn him away. And there are many tales of the Bodhisattva respecting Mara and welcoming him. We need to be able to see things as they are before we can skillfully see how to deal with them so that we can gradually allow the terrible and nothing is excluded. When I began to read about this in the teachings of the Buddha, um, where nothing is unacceptable to our awareness, it was very hard for me to understand it. I would think, what does that mean? How can I accept these things? 
I don't want to include them in my awareness. I don't want to include war and rape and torture and all the things that are so painful in the world. It might be all right for the Buddha to respect Mara or for the Dalai Lama to respect the Chinese or for the Tibetan women who've been so abused to respect their enemies. Maybe they can do it, but I can't, not me. But what I came to realize, or I've come to realize, is that it's a process, and it's a practice, these teachings. Um, It's teaching us not to exclude our reality in this moment. So if my reality in this moment is that I can't accept it, and it's unbearable, That's what's asking for respect. The unbearableness is asking for respect. My resistance is asking for respect. How I am in each moment. It's the allowing of, oh, this is, I can't stand it, mind, and respecting that too. Not having to be some place that we're not. So how do we develop this quality of respectful attention? We start very simply with mindfulness, just as you've been starting these last few days. Mindfulness of our breath, of our bodies, of our feelings, of our thoughts. Mindfulness is simply bare attention, being with our experience just as it is. It's got a mirror-like quality, and it simply reflects what's true. It doesn't add anything, doesn't add a comparison or a story, or a judgment, and it doesn't comment. So often, mindfulness is hard for us because we have this running commentary on everything that happens to us. So it provides a spaciousness when there's no adding. It's simply just this. And when we have this access to space, then it's possible to allow things to be just as they are, and we can access a peace that doesn't depend on things being pleasant. So that no matter how our sittings are, whether they're painful in body or mind or heart, we can be with them and we can respect them. We can allow things to arise, do their dance, do whatever they do, get worse or better or different, and just be with each moment's experience. Mindfulness or mindfulness is a way of making everything whole. It doesn't exclude anything. It says yes to everything, even the difficult things. So a very simple way of beginning, and you can just try this for a moment, just close your eyes right now, is to give respect to the process of breathing. Our lives begin with a breath and end with a breath. Every breath is precious. So simply experience what your breath is doing right now. Is it long or short? Is it fluttering, cool or warm? How is it actually when you pay respectful attention to it? Maybe you notice your breath is controlled, so it's a controlled breath. Doesn't matter. It's respecting how it actually is. And as we begin to train ourselves to allow the breath to find its own rhythm all by itself, 
which it does when we're not paying attention anyway, we're also training ourselves in respectful attention. We're not needing it to be any different. And as we notice how we pay attention to the breath, we can begin to notice the quality of attention. Is it harsh or judgmental? Are we saying, I've been gone again. I'm lousy meditator. I keep wandering. Is it that kind of attention? Or is it, oh, I'm back now. Or maybe if we notice that we've been been noting our breath harshly, oh, I'm supposed to be respectful and I wasn't. And we judge that. So it's being able to include and be aware of how we pay attention, noticing that, how we come back when we've wandered off. Are we kind to ourselves or are we harsh? Do we yank ourselves back or welcome ourselves back? And then let's do this with our body. Just close your eyes again for a moment. And just do this very gentle reflection without judgment if possible, but just pose the question, how have I treated my body in my life? And for me, when I've posed that question, it's not very kindly. I've shoved caffeine in it to make myself work extra hours through medical school. I have lots of ways that I haven't treated my body with respect. It's taken me ages to accept that I have to wear these, and I still can't accept (laughs) enough to get proper ones so that I can both see this and see you. (laughs) So you're all a blur when I've got them on. (laughs) Um, And it's taken ages to respect that I can't sit cross-legged anymore. I spent two years forcing myself to sit with a knee that was damaged because I didn't want to accept sitting in a chair. Um, And so it's hard for us to respect our bodies. It's difficult. And one of the problems is we don't get very good messages. In the Buddhist teachings, we're taught that the body is to be restrained and subdued. We should abandon all concerns for the body. Hence my destroying my knees. Or the Western view is that the body is either idealized or hated. In North America, there's a veritable epidemic of body hating. Our thighs are too flabby. Our breasts are too small. Millions of dollars are spent removing cellulite. Actually, billions, I think. Um, It's really sad. And this compulsive eating, compulsive exercising, compulsive dieting, compulsive finding exactly the right blend of whatever to have our bodies look a certain way. Um, The diet industry, I think there's over 30 billion a year spent on new products that will help us weigh less. Um, I got this on my email, and I'll just read a couple of them. There are three billion women who don't look like supermodels, and only eight who do. (laughs) A psychological study in 1995 found that three minutes spent looking at models in a fashion magazine caused 70% of women to feel depressed, guilty, and shameful. 
And then this one is very sad. Models who 20 years ago weighed 8% less than the average woman now weigh 25% less. And so that's what our young women are exposed to all the time. Every time they open a magazine or look at a television. And the societal images that are portrayed by the industry um, give us messages that how our bodies actually are are not okay. Mostly they're white and Western and young, forever young, and they're never sick or disabled. So they don't really, as it, like eight women look like that and the rest of us don't. So both the, the Buddhist, the Theravadan image of the body as loathsome and to be subdued, particularly for women, and the Western idealized image lead to suffering. Neither of them help us in any way learn to respect our bodies. It's hard for us to begin to treat our bodies with respect, just as they are. This body right now, in this moment, can I respect it? Can I accept all the different parts that are growing old? Or becoming sick, or whatever it is. Thich Nhat says, Please take good care of your body. Allow it to rest and embrace it with tenderness, mindfulness, compassion, and love. And the Buddha said, There's one thing that when cultivated and regularly practiced leads to deep spiritual intention, to peace, to mindfulness, to clear comprehension, and to vision and to knowledge, to a happy life here and now, to the culmination of wisdom and awakening. And what is that one thing? That one thing is mindfulness centered on the body. And that's some of what we've been doing today with our movement, with the movement exercises that Julie's been doing, with the guided meditations of coming into the body. It can be very healing when we touch with that kind of respectful awareness and explore the body with mindfulness. Because it allows us to connect more deeply with ourselves and with the world. Just as we were doing with the breath, we can say, what is my actual experience of my body right now? Can I open to that? If there's pain, can I treat it with kindness? So often when our bodies are sick in this culture, we, we treat the body by pushing it away. We don't like it. We don't want it to betray us. We don't want to be seen in this way. There's not a lot of support for treating our bodies with kindness. Can we soften around it rather than contract and push it away? So we want to reclaim our bodies and begin to re-inhabit them just as they are and feel joy in them just as they are. When we eat here on retreat, can we eat with mindful attention, being aware of our bodies getting nourishment, eating what we need, um, coming back to just the process of eating? When do our bodies say we've had enough? When do they say we need more? 
and being present in our bodies as we sit, as we walk, as we move, at every function that we do, just to play around with it, being aware of the sensations of brushing our teeth, of washing our hair, of going to the bathroom, whatever it is, being curious about and respecting our bodies. So we practice receiving whatever arises in our body and mind and heart with this same respectful attention, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. Can we welcome things and open to them rather than contracting and pushing them away? Suppose you were sitting um, with some pain in your shoulder and you're sitting there and you're aware of the pain and you're noticing burning, burning, tingling, tingling, and then maybe hating, hating, wanting to go away. (laughs) I wish it would go away. I wish the sitting would end. I wish the bell would ring. So that's wanting, wanting. And you're just being aware of what's happening. Wanting, wanting. And then the pain gets more. Oh no, it's getting worse. And then we open to that. Aversion, aversion. And then all of a sudden the pain goes away. Oh, happy, happy. And then (laughs) relief, relief. And then, oh, wow, I'm really getting it now. I'm a good meditator. Good, good. And then, oh no, pride, pride. (laughs) And then shame, shame, judging, judging. (laughs) And so it goes on, (laughs) layer after layer. But what we're doing is we're being mindful of moment to moment. We're respecting a whole process. We're including it all. The judging, the pride, the shame. Every layer is, um, is given respectful attention. And it's a process of life that's opening and revealing itself if we'll let it without shutting it off and contracting around it. And one of the things that happens when we contract around things is that energy gets blocked and stuck. And some of you may have noticed this. And it might get blocked and stuck in the form of more pain or maybe fatigue or maybe just a sense of restlessness. And when we can allow it, as I was describing right now, and we can be aware of it, the energy gets to flow more freely as we open. And there's an energizing, and there's a life that comes into our body and our being. Another really important quality of respect is that it isn't about fixing. It's about allowing and honoring honoring the sovereignty of things to be just as they are. Many of us as women are trained to fix. We want to do and we want to fix. We want to make things better, whether it's for others or for ourselves. It's hard to let go of our agendas. It's hard to let go of controlling things, things that we don't have any control over very often. We have an illusion that we have control over the way things are or the way we think things are supposed to be. For myself, I find there can be really subtle levels of wanting to fix this moment and make it be a better moment. This moment isn't quite nice enough. I want to fix it in some way. I want things to be other than how they are. 
whether it's the airport to be on time or the traffic over the bridge to be less, whatever it is. Um, just that not allowing the moment to be how it is. But respect is about allowing things to take the space that they need, giving them that freedom. And for ourselves, when we think we need fixing, or when we think others need fixing, it implies that we're not okay as we are. And it's disrespectful. Even though we may not be aware of it, when we feel we need to be fixed, I'll be a better person if I can sit through without my mind wandering, Um, which is hopeless. (laughs) Um, It's disrespectful. Sometimes when I catch myself treating my son disrespectfully, when I'm wanting him to be another way, and I hear the way I talk to him when I'm feeling that way, I can catch myself and realize that's how I treat myself inside. I treat myself disrespectfully inside. And then there's compassion for all of us who treat ourselves this way, who treat ourselves disrespectfully, who want to fix ourselves up into ways we think we should be. And the compassion comes from a knowing that it's conditioned. There isn't any blame. Very often, when we want ourselves to be different, it's because we, deep down, want acceptance. And somehow, through our childhood or whatever, we didn't feel accepted. Only if I look this way, if I behave that way, if I succeed at this, if I do that, will I be acceptable? If I get this mark on the exam, then I can respect myself. If I lose this much weight, then I can respect myself. Whatever it is, it comes from a really deep sense of not being accepted, of needing acceptance. So it's no wonder that those parts of ourselves grow up not respectful and trying to fix. It does. Of course they would feel that way if you look at it like that. All these conditioned habits are there for a reason. And when we can respect them and honor them, then it makes some space for there to be some change and some healing. Because these habits don't serve us anymore. Even though we did them for a reason, they don't serve us anymore. And the way that we can help them loosen is to respect and honor and have compassion for them. So what happens often on retreat, and I'm sure you've all had this experience just in this one day of sitting, that as we sit and we walk and we eat and we rest and we sleep, in the stillness here, things begin to come to the surface, difficulties that we face in our lives, in our hearts and our minds, begin to bubble up. And all these difficulties are things that we've been holding in our bodies, sometimes for years, or maybe in our hearts, that they've been there for a long time, and now that we're in stillness, they're starting to surface. And these parts of our body have been holding these difficulties, waiting to surface until we have the strength and the compassion to treat them with mindfulness and with respect. Sometimes what can happen when they come up and we're not able to treat them with respect and mindfulness 
is that we re-traumatize ourselves. And I've had that experience often where something will come up and I'll judge it. I shouldn't feel that way. Or I'm ashamed of being that way. Oh, there's, and when that happens, um, there's a re-traumatizing. It's bad enough having these difficult feelings without feeling bad or ashamed or identifying with them, feeling that they're us and that we're bad for having these thoughts and feelings. And so a kind of self-hatred can get perpetuated for some people of not being able to accept themselves for having difficult feelings or emotions. In my own practice, when I began to see some of these difficult states, and the Buddha really classified them into three types, greed, hatred, or delusion. And they're the sort of forces that keep our world in a lot of pain in so many ways. But when I began, began to see that these energies were in me and the extent that they, to which they were in me, it was really hard. And even um, um, last, a couple of years ago, I think it was the first women's retreat that I came to, and we had um, a fire of transformation. And we were supposed to put something in the fire that we were ready to let go of, some quality or something that we wanted transformed. And we were supposed to let it surface. And I was sitting there and I was very much in my mind. And I thought, oh, judging, that would be a really noble quality to be free of. (laughs) I'll put judging in the fire. And so I sat there and I chanted and I just let myself be. And all of a sudden, this huge greed arose in me. And I thought, this is disgusting. (laughs) I didn't want to see it. I didn't want to own that I had this greed. And sort of there was like revulsion at it, in the same kind of revulsion that the people in the hospital were having to that young man. And um, I was able to be mindful enough to allow it the space and to see it get bigger and bigger. And as it did, and as I allowed it um, to be there, I began to see that it's just part of the human condition. It's not me, Doesn't it's not mine, um, And it isn't about being good or bad. Greed is just something that we all have that's just part of being human. And as I began to have a little more respect, it started to dissolve and there was humor in it. And so it was that quality of allowing and treating with respect that enabled it to pass through rather than the contraction and the shame to push it back under and pretend that I hadn't seen it. And then it wouldn't be transformable if it wasn't visible and it wasn't owned. And women often are conditioned to turn things inwards. We tend to, some of us, many of us, turn our emotions inwards. Um, We're more likely than men to blame ourselves. And a friend gave me this example. She said, if a man gets into a car and it doesn't start, He usually says, what's wrong with this goddamn car anyway? If a woman gets into the car and it doesn't start, and I do this, what am I doing wrong? Is there something I missed? (laughs) You know, I'm more likely to, to feel that I did something than that there's something wrong inherently in the situation. That's not true for all women. I know I'm generalizing. But there's a tendency that way. 
in the way that we're brought up in this culture, to turn it inwards. So, um, for me, that was one of the issues I had to work with. Quite a long time ago, um, I was really ill, and I'd been working a lot and as in a community clinic and doing a lot of service work and trying to fix and heal the world, which wasn't possible. And I got really sick. And as I began to practice more, one time on a long retreat, um, I started having images of three-dimensional moving wasps. And they were like this big and multicolored, and they were three-dimensional. And I was terrified. It was really, really unpleasant, because <laughs> I don't like wasps anyway. I'm sure that's why I was seeing them. And um, the first couple of times, I just opened my eyes, get rid of it. Um, I didn't want it. And then I began to see, it began to dawn on me, that it happened after some moment when I'd been really self-judgmental and self-abusive. And that that was what was responsible for my illness in some way, was that I wasn't good enough to fix the world. This was my particular story. Um, and I was, I was really upset by this. How could I be doing this to me? And as time went on, um, the wasp would reoccur, I began to have a little curiosity about them. And at first, um, I wasn't quite so scared of them, but I had the same attitude as the, as the security doc and other doctors did towards that young man. They were loathsome and disgusting. And how could I be so loathsome and disgusting to have images like that that were symbolizing stinging myself? And I was really distressed by it. But the more I practiced, um, when they would reoccur, I began to actually have compassion for them and to see where they came from in my particular life and my particular story and my own history of abuse. I began to see where they came from and to have compassion for them. And from being scary, I began to be able to finally embrace them. And that was the biggest healing of all, was to actually embrace these creatures and to say to them, um, I care about you and I can't let you hurt me. So that we can notice and acknowledge and respect these very, very deep woundings in ourselves. And yet we, we, we have a, um, a sort of compassion that we can say no, we can make a choice about harming ourselves. So it's not that we're judging the judging, but it's just that this is, it's like when you have a child and they're about to bite somebody else. You can, you can remove them and clearly we don't bite. <laughs> so it's having a boundary. And we can learn to treat ourselves in that same way with compassion and clarity and respect. Not you're bad to bite, I don't love you anymore. <laughs> which is often what a lot of us got <laughs> when we were younger. But having those kind of boundaries with ourselves. So what we really needed, what we really need is compassion and understanding and love. And I tell that story because it's something that happened over years. It didn't happen in one retreat. It's a gradual process. And it takes strength and patience 
and courage to work with these difficult energies and to go through it in a mindful way. And it's important to respect the process. It's really important to respect that it's a process that takes time and to respect where we are in that process. And we've talked about that today. Sometimes we want to be at the other end. (laughs) We want to be at the end where we've embraced it and everything's happy and going off into the sunset. But we're over here. And we can only be where we are. Sometimes we can only touch the difficulties by viewing them from a distance, like I did originally. Sometimes we can get a little bit closer. But where we are is what what is calling for respect. So we're planting seeds of respect. And with our mindfulness, we're helping them grow. And know that it takes time for them to flower. And over and over again, I've seen in my practice and listening to people and talking to to meditators how it does flower if we give it time. There's a a Chinese um, tree, a bamboo tree, and some of you may know, know about this tree, that when you plant it, the first year it just grows a tiny little bit, a couple of inches. And the next two years, three years, four years, it barely grows more than about three or four inches. But all during those four or five years, there's this incredible tap and root system happening under the earth. And suddenly, in the fifth year, whatever it is, it grows 80 feet. (laughs) It just goes kafoo. And so you never know when the kafoo will happen. (laughs) Um, but just to know that all these days of practice and sittings are building that root system and that tap system that's the strength upon which, the respect upon which our practice can transform us. You know, and, and other teachers talk about it's no, it's no use expecting that you can suddenly stick a tree there and expect it not to be blown over by the wind when the storm comes. It has to grow and take time to become strong to withstand the storm. And just the same way as we take, as we pay respect to the process that we're doing here and the place each of us is in that process that um, is healing. And also, um, what I find really helpful is respecting the degree of conditioning. Um, We can think that something, we've worked something through, and then all of a sudden, there we are having the same feelings again. Oh, here I am, trying to look good and impress people and wanting to be seen again. I thought I got through that one. (laughs) Or whatever our particular issue is, whether it's wanting approval or um, feeling abandoned, the conditioning goes really deep. Or maybe think we thought we got through with judging, and there we are doing it again. It's respecting, oh, here it is again. It's not who I am. Because that's where the catch is. It's when we identify with it and think it's who we are that it becomes so painful. So each time we can be with something with respect and stay with it and honor it, 
each time we can do that, its power lessens and it begins to dissolve more easily. So, it's, it's really true how that happens. It's like we've been wearing a little groove with all the judging and the disrespect for years, many of us. And it takes a little while to begin to wear another groove that's of respect and kindness and honoring and humor. But the more we do it, the more that becomes our way. And it takes a long time sometimes to work with these things. And we each of us unfold at our own rate. It's so easy to have comparing mind and hear someone's story in a group and think, oh, why can't I be like that? Or they're so wonderful and I'm so whatever. And that's just one story that they told. There might be a whole bunch of other things that are hard for them that you don't know about. But the comparing is painful. Um, Ajahn Chah, who's one of the Thai um, forest teachers, says this, Your practice is like raising a duck. Your duty is to feed it and give it water. If it grows fast or grows slow, is the duck's business, not yours. <laughs> Let it go and just do your own work. Your business is to practice. If it's fast or slow, just know it. Just don't try to force it. This kind of respectful practice has a good foundation, like the foundation of the bamboo tree. Even though it may have seemed like we're sitting here doing this practice of awakening all alone, Awakening happens in relationship to each other, to the earth, to all the beings on the earth. To Mara, who comes to the Buddha even after he's been awakened. It happens in relationship to all those things. And it's a gift to be able to relate to all of that with respect. Each of us has our own particular suffering, our own story, And to be able to be present and listen to ourselves, to listen to our own story with respect, to listen to each other's stories with respect, and with an open heart, without knowing what to do, without trying to fix it in any way, is a real gift. And and all of us have seen and experienced this happen in groups today, the gift that we've given each other of respectful and caring attention. This is Carl Rogers. When someone really hears you without passing judgment on you, without trying to take responsibility for you, without trying to mold you, it feels damn good. When I've been listened to, been heard, I'm able to perceive my world in a new way and to go on. It's astonishing how elements which seemed insoluble became soluble when someone listened, and how confusion, which seemed irredeemable, turned into relatively clear-flowing streams when one is heard. And it's that hearing, without needing to do anything, 
but just to hear. Hearing ourselves without needing to do anything other than just to be present that's so healing. In the early days of my medical practice, um, when I didn't have a child and I was young and naive in the world, um, I didn't understand that. And one day I was... um, a woman came into my office and she disclosed to me that she'd been abusing her children. And I reacted with horror and probably looked disgust also. And she never came back. And I felt really bad about that because what I realized was that what she needed was somebody to say, how awful for you, how hard that must be to be overwhelmed to that degree. She needed someone just to be present and to help her hold this painful thing that she was carrying. carrying. And at that time I had a lot of judgment about myself for not being able to do it. And now I can have more respect, but that's where I was. That was what my particular process was. And some of the horror was also at the ways I'd abused myself that were being triggered and the ways I'd been abused as a child. And each of us needs that quality of respect and of being listened to in that way. When people feel heard and listened to, when we feel, when we've heard ourselves in that way, healing is possible, change is possible. So as we listen to ourselves, as we hear our own stories in our heads, as we hear each other's stories, we can say to ourselves, what's my intention in listening? Is it respectful? Is it to try and fix myself or to fix somebody else? Is it to be right? Is it to help? What's the quality of my attention? And when you think back to the precepts that we recited last night, seems a long time ago, They all have to do with respect, respecting each other, respecting the earth, to do with generosity rather than exploiting or taking. So it's a gift that we give others when we can respect them in that way. And um, another story. Um, This is about an elderly lady um, that was very dear to me, still is very dear to me, she's still alive. And she had to go into a nursing home because she couldn't take care of herself anymore. She, She got very sick and she had to go into hospital while she was waiting for placement. And we'll call her Mrs. G. And um, I went to see her one day, and I hadn't come into the hospital yet to see her, so I wasn't sure where she was. And I said to the the nurses, "Um, where's Mrs. G? And they said, oh, Mrs. G. And their faces lit up, and they just looked so happy about it. Oh, and she's so wherever she is. And this was one of those huge wards, I don't know whether they have them here in the States, with many beds and lots of elderly people, all in different stages of illness and whatever. And um, there was Mrs. G sitting on her bed and I came up to her and she 
immediately took both my hands and looked into my face and said, Oh, it's so wonderful to see you, Adrian. I'm so happy. And I immediately felt happy and special and wonderful because her quality of attention was enough to make you feel like you were the most wonderful person in the world. She was just like that. And we started talking, and I didn't mind that I was late for my next appointment. It was great just bathing in Mrs. G's radiance. And um, one of the... um, one of the cleaning attendants came up who was cleaning the ward and putting away all the refuse and stuff. And Mrs. G bent down and, and touched her on the shoulder and said, thank you, dear. It feels so wonderful to have my place clean. And she wasn't being um, icky or saccharine. It was really genuine. And different people came by as I stayed with her. And she just treated them all with that same quality of um, honoring. It was as though she saw the goodness or the God in each person. And they felt that, and that came out in them. Um, And it was really wonderful being with her um, and bathing in that radiance. And um, she said, everyone takes care of me so well here. They're so nice to me, and they bring me food. And other people, other patients who've been on that ward had complained about the staff, the food's terrible, the nurses are overworked, nobody pays me any attention. But Mrs. G just brought it all to her, just by being who she was. And it was that quality of respect um, that she gave people and that she gave herself. She said, you know, I hate to leave my little home. It's so hard. I liked it so much. But I've seen the place that I'm going to, and I'll be fine. They're really nice people there. And so she was able to be with each moment. and to respect each moment, and had that quality of not needing things to be different from how they were, so that people felt at ease with her. So she had that quality of honoring. And honoring is, when I was talking last night about bowing, it's that honoring everything that we come come across. We bow to our resistance. We bow to the difficult places, and in bowing, we give them love and compassion and respect, and we open our hearts to them. Almost as though we were doing what Julie was showing is in the movement today. We're gathering that quality of love and respect, and we're releasing and offering it, whether it's to ourselves or to others. So the whole of the practice, really, and the teachings have to do with respect. Respect for what is. Honoring each moment just as it is. Once I was on a retreat, and it was getting towards the end of the retreat, and um, I wanted, this was quite a few years ago, I wanted the big transformative experience. And um, this was a different kind of meditation retreat than Vipassana, and there was an evening walk. And in in previous retreats, I'd gone out on this evening walk under the stars, and I'd had my transformative experience. So I was looking for it. I was expecting it. It was my due. And it wasn't happening. And um, so I I was walking around um, with this, holding on to wanting this experience, when I began to have some humor about it. And for a moment, I just stopped. And in that moment of stopping and closing my eyes and looking down like this, 
I saw this moment and how precious this moment was. And I was refilled with respect for each moment as it came up. And as this one dissolved, here was the wanting. Here was the humor. Here was the judging for having the wanting. Here were the expectations. Each thing was coming and dissolving. Each moment was being honored. And so that quality of respect is very healing. And it's precious when we can experience that. So what do we respect? Sometimes we respect that we just don't know. We respect that it's beginner's mind, that we're beginning again, that each moment is a new beginning. Each time we come and sit, we don't know what will happen. Each time we walk, whatever we do, is a new moment. Can we open to each moment and honor it with the same quality of attention? Or do we only like and give attention to the moments that we value, like me and my big experience? That's worthy of respect. The boring one isn't. So we're sowing seeds of respect, gently, and we're allowing that they take time to flower. There's a lovely story, it's a children's story, of um, frog and toad. Most parents here, who were parents long ago, or parents recently, probably know about frog and toad. And anyway, frog had a garden, and he'd planted some seeds, and they'd grown into beautiful flowers. And Toad said he wanted a garden too. And so Frog gave him some seeds, and Toad, he didn't really know very much about garden, but Frog showed him how to plant the seeds, and so Frog went off, and Toad sat there, and he waited for the seeds to grow. And he waited for about half an hour, and the seeds hadn't come up. So he went running over to Frog's house, and he said, Frog, Frog, my seeds aren't growing. And so Frog, of course, says, it takes time, it takes time to be patient. And so Frog goes home, and Toad goes home, and he goes to bed, and he gets up the next morning, and the seeds still haven't grown. And he's very upset. And, um, and so Frog says, well, they need water, and they need care, and they need attention. So Toad thought, well, maybe the seeds are lonely. So he came down, and he read stories to the seeds. And then at night, he thought maybe they were lonely, and he played music to the seeds. And still they didn't grow. And he was getting quite despairing. And then finally, um, he gave up. And one morning, he came out very despondent. And there they were, beginning to emerge. And so, sometimes we get all very attached to the rate of growth of our seeds. And so it's having that quality of patience um, and respect for how long the process takes takes time to flower, and for each of us that unfolding is different. And it's different at different times in our lives, too. And it's honoring where we are. The Buddha said, If you are respectful by habit, constantly honoring the worthy, four things increase. Long life, beauty, happiness, and strength. And to that, we can add wisdom, compassion, and understanding. And I'd like to finish 
with this quote. This is from a mural in um, in a retreat center in Van- in um, Van- near Vancouver, where I come from. It's the Benedictine sisters who have this retreat center, and there's a beautiful mural of all sorts of different vegetables. Um, it's really actually very beautiful, and this is underneath it. The vegetables in this mural are part of God's soup pot. The variety of ingredients is the variety of people. Each in our own way contribute to the soup. Flavor, texture, body, color, warmth. The slices are symbolic of our interior life. This life, when released or cut open, allows our full flavor to come forth. Our individuality is added to the soup. In the process of being opened, the creation that we are becomes evident, and we marvel at the beauty within us. Trust and see in the goodness of the Lord. So may all beings experience respect and may all beings share respect. Let's just sit for a few moments. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.